Hello, and welcome back to the Friendship Bed Podcast. I'm Alma. And I'm Crystal. We love to have real, honest conversations about life and how the conservative culture that we grew up in shaped our mindsets. With that being said, let's jump into our topic. So, what do you guys think of our new intro? Um, I don't know about everybody else, but I'm excited about it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Every time we're like... How are we going to do this? What are we going to say after we say our names? Like, I know. Well, we have our basic things we say, but then like after that. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So for some reason, it just makes it kind of hard to like jump into, seamlessly jump into our topic from recording the intro. But this way. Now we can just start talking. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like it's like we have the paperwork out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Cuz the intro really didn't change. No. At all. <laughs> no. No. But that's just what you'll be hearing from every episode. Yeah. Did you have a breadcrumb this week? I just I had a great weekend with friends. That's awesome. I mean, like we just had a lot of fun and just had a full weekend of multiple things and Mm-hmm. It was a blast. That's awesome. I love simple things like that. Like, mm-hmm. it's easy to be grateful for big things, but simple things, it's like, it's just so nice to stop and look at your life and be like, I just loved the, I love the little things. Like, I guess my breadcrumb is that I got to go over to your house the other day and just hang out for- Yes, that was so much fun. Yeah, we just- we didn't really do that much, but we just... No, not really. We just existed around each other. <laughs> yep. And it was nice. So I'm thankful for that. And that'll be my breadcrumb this week. That was the start of my fun weekend was you coming over. Ah, uh, okay. That makes sense. Yep. was a Friday. Mm-hmm. Today was Monday. Did today go by fast for you? I mean, parts of it. It was a hard... I- It was a long Monday for you. It was a long Monday. It was a hard Monday. There was a lot of things that happened, and yeah. Yeah. There was just a lot. Today's, we had kind of opposite Mondays. I had a very productive Monday, but I didn't even get nearly all of the stuff on my to-do list done because it felt like it was two hours long. It Mm -hmm. felt like the Monday was two hours long. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. My Monday is going to continue into Tuesday a little bit. (laughs) And hopefully by noon tomorrow, I'm caught up on my Monday. I started trying to focus in on like one thing a day. Like Mondays, I don't think about housework at all because I have so much other work to do on Mondays that like the house just kind of exists as like, the space I'm in, like, as if it was my office that I went to work at. And when you're at an office that you go to work at, you don't think about cleaning it or doing laundry in it. Is this your system then for your house? What do you mean? Well, last week we were talking about having, like, a system for... Oh, yes. It's one of my new systems. Yeah. So on Mondays, I am not allowed to be like, oh, I really should do the dishes. I really should get caught up on laundry. Like, that's not a Monday thing. Mm -hmm. Tuesday comes around, I can do laundry and I can think about it because I've completed my Monday work. Mm -hmm. But like Monday, housework, completely off the table. I like that idea. That sounds great. Yeah. It's working well for me because today, like I've been trying to do it for a few weeks now and each Mm -hmm. Monday I still catch myself like, oh, I need to get it. No. (laughs) And... Today was the first day that I was actually to able to just, like, exist in my house and do my work and not think too much about, like, mm-hmm. the housework that needs to be done. Anyways, thought I I'd have, share. I have a feeling that my system is going to look a little bit opposite, where, like, I'm going to make myself relax on the weekend, and then on Monday, I'm going to want to catch my house up mm. from the weekend. So I'm imagining Mondays and Fridays being my housework days and then maybe the other days can be other things yeah that's what i'm hoping that makes a lot of sense so when the when your kids go back to school mondays aren't going to be your crazy busy days anymore not for a while that's cool 
So yeah, it'll be an adjustment to the new routine and everything, but Mm -hmm. I feel like even once some of that stuff kind of comes back a little bit, it's still going to have, my Mondays will still have more space than what they had before Mm -hmm. and it won't be as crazy. So that's kind of nice. It doesn't feel as overwhelming. Yeah. So Mondays will, it, it would make sense then for Mondays to be like your catch up housework day. Yeah. I totally, I like that because then you kind of like, like you start your week off fresh. Yeah. 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 I, I, like I kind it. of want to start my week and my weekend fresh. Yeah. So. Yes. No, like what we talked about last time about like, I've been thinking about it more since we talked about it, but it really does help me to like, if I'm planning to like not do much for mm-hmm. the weekend, to get the house like reset before, it helps me to relax so much more. I think like something else about just like our the, what we talked about on our last episode, it has me thinking, like I said, I, I'm not ready to set systems in place yet. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know by the time this episode comes out, I am going to have started <laughs> right. systems in yes. place. Um, because my kids will have gone to school, but, um, yeah. I like though that I'm thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Like often I tend to, and you know this about me probably, <laughs> I tend to think of something and I get so excited about it that I just like want to do it right away yeah. and I implement it right away. And I kind of like that because I decided to not implement anything until they go back to school. It's making me think about, like, what do I want to do? Yes. And just, like, different things I've thought of. Like, one thing that I saw somebody do is that they carry a laundry basket with them through the house and just put everything in it. And Mm -hmm. I know different people have different systems for that. But I like the idea of instead of carrying or having a cart or something that I take with me, just having a laundry basket, I put everything in there. Mm-hmm. And then when I'm done putting those things away, because I know that if I go put those things away, otherwise I will see other things and that will distract me. So if I just put everything in there and then go putting everything away, there won't be things out to distract me anymore because it'll all be in the basket. Ah, uh, Like, do yes, you see where I'm going yes, with that? Yes, yes. And so just like – Thinking of some of this stuff and like coming up with some of these ideas, I'm hoping that my systems will be a little more well thought through. Yeah. (laughs) And and, and even what you said last week about realizing that maybe you shouldn't make yourself like a strict regimen because then you'll like beat yourself up for not sticking to it. And I think like I'm almost thinking of maybe – I know I I joked about making like a Velcro thing or whatever, but Mm -hmm. I think maybe instead I might just make myself a checklist for the week Mm -hmm. and whenever I do it, it's done. And the goal is not to have everything done on a certain day, Mm -hmm. but just that it's done by the end of the week. Yeah. So that it's at least if you have tasks that you want to do once a week, it's at least done once a week. Yeah. And like, I would like to, I think I'd like to make like, um, a reset day one. Like, these are the things I want to do on those days. So if I know that I'm trying to, like, reset my house that day, I'm going to do that list. I love that because you're not choosing, like, Thursday as your reset day. You're just saying, when I do a reset day, this is what I want to be included in the reset day. Yes, this is what I'd like to do on my reset day. I love that. And if I don't get everything done, then I can try to work on that stuff on the next week like or the next day. Mm -hmm. You know, even if it's technically not a reset day. That's fine. Um, and just like my cleaning, like some of that can be included in a reset. Some of it isn't. Mm-hmm. And that's also okay. Yeah. And I really, I like that a lot. So I think I just wanted to, I tend to expect myself to be more regimented and is that the right word? Yeah. Okay. Um, I want to be more adaptable. <laughs> yeah. So I think that I'm going to try to make my systems with that in mind because the reality is I have four kids and I have to be adaptable with it. Mm-hmm. And my schedule fluctuates a lot just depending on what's happening and different things that are going on. Mm-hmm. And it's not always the same. So even though I expect myself to always have it be the same, that's not reality. Yeah. So. That's a good point. 
So yeah, those are just some realizations I've had since our last episode. (laughs) That's awesome. I love the little update for like this episode coming off of our last episode. Yeah. So, but um, as you can see by the title of this episode, we are going to be finishing our book review of She Deserves Better by Sheila Gregor today. Mm-hmm. I I finished reading the book probably almost three weeks ago now. We I still haven't finished reading it. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> I just want to be honest about that. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, I... I'm going to bring up things and we're going to kind of talk about the different ideas that she presents in the book, just like last time, but the rest of the book. And the chapters that we're covering today, we're going to discuss some anatomically correct terms. Yeah, this is probably one of those episodes that you don't want to listen to with children. Yeah, but maybe put your your earbuds in or something. Yes, that would be great. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) For those who uh, listened to the last episode, we stopped um, after chapter six. And so we are starting at chapter seven today. And the title of this one is She Deserves to Know About Her Body. Well, this sounds interesting. This chapter just talks a lot about the lack of sex education that girls are given growing up in the purity culture environment. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing they mention is that girls are more likely to know male anatomical terms than female ones. I think that's true. It, It, Yeah, it is. They did a study, like an actual... Yeah. The sentence she has written here is, more young women walked across the stage at graduation knowing the term scrotum than vulva. Yeah, I did not know that that was a term. I don't even know how old I was. I was definitely had children before I knew that term. Wow. I don't remember where I learned it, but I did probably, probably public school. Like health class or something. I did know the word vulva. Now, I was like not completely educated on like what parts are what because mm-hmm. oftentimes people use vagina to refer to the entire. Yes. That's that's what I was taught. Yeah, when everything. vulva is actually the term for that. Yes. Vulva encases everything. Vagina is the internal canal. Yeah. Yeah. And another thing is that a lot of girls didn't know what female orgasms were or that they existed until adulthood, which I like, wow, that's kind of crazy to think about. It's very believable to me. It is. It is very believable, but insane. Yeah. They talk about how there's just so many misconceptions when it comes to how sex works and Mm -hmm. everything like that. So, yeah. One of the subtitles in here in this chapter is she should know more about sex than don't do it. And they talk about that instead of just perpetrating extreme fear of everything that could go wrong, like, that's not how you teach about sex. Like, they deserve to know, girls deserve to know about what sex is and how it works without being told, oh, what is sex? Well, don't do it. You know? That's what I was told. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know. Um, I think they reference in this chapter, and it just always makes me think of uh, the scene from Mean Girls where the coach has the job of sex education in gym class. And he basically tells everyone, like, if you have sex, you will get a disease and you will die. Like, I'm, I'm like, (laughs) I'm not quoting it completely accurately but like that's how he does it that's how he gives the sex talk it's been so long since i watched that movie i wouldn't even remember that yeah it just it always made me laugh but it's also really sad because that like they did it in a funny way obviously to make it funny Mm -hmm. but a version of that is taught in parody culture so yeah they they talk about how the fact is that they should know facts, not just fear. Mm-hmm. 
they have quotes from different books that really play into the like extreme fear-based messages and it's 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 I don't even know. It's horrifying the things that were allowed to be printed in books and are still allowed to be printed yes, in books. Yes. And marketed to young women because one well, here's one from the from Every Young Woman's Battle by Josh McDowell. Um no, he he wrote the foreword for Every Young Woman's Woman's Battle. And this is from his foreword. Please know that your entire future, including your ability to have a successful marriage and your own children someday, is made up of one decision after another. Because of their poor sense of direction, many of your peers are making decisions that lead them not toward an abundant, joy-filled life, but toward destruction and even death. Do you know how intense that is to a young woman? Like... I literally can't comprehend. I know. Writing words like that. Yeah. I forgot about this part. I'll read you one paragraph. Okay. Uh, Quite frankly, the evangelical church has been lying to our teens for decades. Sex does not cause most unwanted pregnancies or sexually transmitted diseases. Unprotected sex causes most of these things. But our resources stress that condoms don't work. Dana Gresh explains that there are 13 steps to using a condom and they fail almost half the time. She put in parentheses, we totally cannot figure out what these steps are supposed to be. (laughs) Every young woman's battle also warns against the ineffectiveness of condoms, but condoms are actually very effective against unwanted pregnancies as well as sexually transmitted infections, including gonorrhea, chlamydia, and HIV. No, they are not as effective as abstinence, but they do provide broad protection. The National Health Service in the UK has found condoms to be 98% effective in preventing pregnancy when used properly and still 82% effective with imperfect use. In the vast majority of cases, condoms actually work. When we rely on scare tactics to stop kids from having sex, we will fail. Our girls will inevitably know friends or family members who are having extramarital sex and who are not pregnant, heartbroken, riddled with STIs, rendered infertile, or dead. When our daughters realize our warnings mean nothing, they'll feel manipulated and may even abandon our ethics altogether. Mic drop. Like, that was extremely well said. I feel like she once posted something, and I could be remembering this wrong somehow, but I feel like she it was her that posted it, about how statistically teenagers who had access to condoms and were told to actually, like, use them actually had sex less mm-hmm. than the ones that were just told don't do it. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense to me. Like, when they were actually educated about it, Mm -hmm. they were less likely. I think that makes a lot of sense because when you are properly educated about how your body works, you can make educated decisions about what you want to do with your body. And it also takes curiosity. Yeah. Out of the equation. That's true. There's nothing to be curious about because they know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really, really good point. Another subtitle in here is she should know you don't accidentally have sex. And she talks about how all of a sudden, like, purity culture made, like, kissing and hugging even, like, a really taboo thing. Mm -hmm. And saying, like, hugging and kissing and, you know, like, everybody talks about, like, side hugs. Only give side hugs, like, because hugging and kissing will lead you to having sex with each other. And even the side hugs. The side hugs thing. Mm Mm-hmm. Why do we have to give side hugs? Like, let's talk about that. Why are you supposed to give a side hug? Because you have extremely... I don't know what the right word (laughs) is. I don't know what the right word is either. Um, Extremely tempting body parts on the front of your body. Yes. And if you hug a guy Mm -hmm. and it's not a side hug... Mm-hmm. You are going to cause him to stumble. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
It perpetrates the idea that, again, men, boys can't control themselves. Yes. And that they can't have respect for women. Yeah. And, like, if, if like, for a guy, if the way that he shows respect to women is to side hug her, that is fine. Like, mm-hmm. it's not that I have an issue with side hugs. My issue is with being told that only side hugs are appropriate because men can't control themselves. Yeah. Yes. No, I like the way you worded that. Okay. Yeah. And and what they talk about here is like that it's just, again, important to educate girls because then they can make educated decisions Yeah. that will lead them to decide if they want to have sex or not. Like it's, it's not that it will just happen accidentally. Mm-hmm. Another thing they talk about is how much purity culture uh, repeats the idea of that you leave a piece of yourself behind once you have sex with someone. And so they talk about how some youth groups, a lot of youth groups, use the example of like – or the demonstration of gluing two pieces of paper together, letting it dry, and then tearing it apart. And then they'd be like, oh, look, like – Little pieces of the paper got left on the other paper. I definitely saw that one. Yep. And they would say, this is what happens when you have sex with someone. A part of you is lost and you gain a part of them forever. And then if you do that with more people. Yep. Um, our youth group leader, like the one, I don't know, maybe it wasn't. I don't think, okay, I know it happened in our youth group, but then there was another time that I went with a friend to her youth group Mm -hmm. and they did the same thing, but then they proceeded to also glue it to another piece of paper and then tear that apart and then glue another piece of paper until the end, you couldn't really see the original color anymore. And they said, see, like now you've Mm -hmm. completely lost who you are Mm -hmm. and there's nothing of you left. Mm -hmm. And... There's pieces of you scattered around everywhere. Yep. So this this part of the chapter, again, excellent. They go mm-hmm. into um, talking about the soul tie theory, and it's excellent. She brings up that this soul tie theory is responsible for a lot of women marrying their husbands because they've had sex with them. Yeah. So what we talked about two episodes ago, this is... This is part of where that comes from. And that is a real life consequence to this teaching. It's not a good consequence. Like that is not good fruit. This again is something we talked about two episodes ago. And this uh, part of the chapter, they talk about that virginity and purity are not synonyms. I mean, everything we talk about, everything we talked about two episodes ago, Mm -hmm. this is, this is what she talks about here and it's so good she i feel like she does a way better job of wording things than we did obviously and she has like she wrote it down she had time to edit you know Mm -hmm. it was it's so well said and and she just really emphasizes how it is so important to not make virginity synonymous with purity Mm -hmm. they do not mean the same thing exactly Another thing with this, and we talked a little bit about this, um, how the emphasis is so much placed on the girl's virginity mm-hmm. rather than the boy's. <laughs> like, uh, uh, well, I'll just read what she wrote. Often virginity is talked about as a gift that girls give boys rather than the other way around. Our girls should feel neither this kind of pressure nor this kind of guilt. We should always remind them that their purity is based on what Jesus did with his body, not what they do with theirs. Don't ever let your daughter feel like her worth in Jesus' eyes is based on what she's done sexually or what's been done to her rather than Jesus' love for her. And she also includes some more quotes from some books that make you just want to puke. So she is really good at... Finding those quotes in books that... That just make you want to puke. Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. I feel like this chapter is everything we talked about two episodes ago. Because she also talks about the goal is not virginity, but following Christ. Mm -hmm. And in here, she talks about that... What we talked about, that just because you had sex once doesn't mean you have to keep having sex. Like, you Mm -hmm. are not damaged. You are not ruined because you had sex once. It's just really good. As per usual with this entire book. 
And then moving into chapter eight, uh, that this chapter is titled She Deserves to Understand Consent. And the subtitle of this is Boys Will Be Boys and Other Lies the Church Tells About Assault. Oh, well, that sounds like a great chapter. It's an excellent chapter. They discuss in this chapter how bad the church is at at, um, educating girls on what assault is, Mm -hmm. that so many of them don't even know that they've been assaulted. Yep. And it's horrifying. The... It, this this chapter is eye-opening and saddening and excellent. It's very well written. She talks about uh, that feeling safe takes precedence over being nice. And so we've talked about that before. I'm just like, I wish somebody had told me that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. We, we have a whole episode on why somebody should have told Crystal that. And there's similar stories in here to yeah. Crystal's. Like, it's... The unfortunate thing is that this happens to so many girls. Mm -hmm. So many girls. Another thing that she should know in this chapter is that boys are not sex fiends. And I want to read this one part. Our propensity to excuse and accept bad behavior from boys can be traced backward to a five-year-old in a ponytail on on the playground. From as young as kindergarten, girls are taught that boys are to be held to a lower standard. If a boy pulls... A girl's hair hits her or throws something at her. It's because he likes her. The behaviors graduate in middle school in calling names, snapping bra straps, and making inappropriate jokes. That's just how boys express themselves when they admire or like a girl. We are taught to excuse poor behavior from boys simply because we cannot expect them to behave better because of their Y chromosome. Even during puberty, how many of us girls were told to give our male counterparts patience and grace because girls develop and mature ahead of boys? Contrast that with how few times we heard boys at the same age being told to look to girls for leadership and guidance because of their maturity. This may lead to innocent consequences like getting pelted with crayons by the boy who has a crush on you in third grade, but the thinking that we need to cater to immaturity and inappropriate behavior from boys simply because they are male can lead to uncomfortable and even dangerous situations later in life. Yeah, because that teaches teaches girls that if someone is... I'm not saying that a five-year-old is being abusive, Mm -hmm. but when you translate that behavior, you like, you know, when it grows up, Mm -hmm. that is abusive behavior. Yeah. And that teaches you that abusive behavior is okay in your relationship. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next part of what she says, I'm reading kind of a long quote now, but it just, it's really good. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the church has allowed the idea that boys are incapable of self-control to excuse and even rationalize sexually predatory behavior. Many of our survey respondents reported that they internalized the message that boys will try to push girls' sexual boundaries. And our research found that married women who have believed this as teenagers are less happy in their marriages and have worse sex lives today. If a girl grows up believing that it's her job to make sure boys don't do bad things, then any time a boy hurts her, it's doubly painful because not only has she been mistreated, but that mistreatment is her fault. She takes on guilt she was never meant to have. So, and she just goes on to say, like, that this, the idea that boys are, like, overwhelmed by sexual urges is literally everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, and it's excused. When in all reality... No, like not all guys want to just constantly use girls and their bodies for their own pleasure. Mm-hmm. Like to teach that is so damaging to girls and to boys. Yeah. Girls are constant. That, like we've talked about before, that leads to girls constantly hypersexualizing themselves, mm-hmm. like kind of as a defense mechanism of like, well, what about me as sexual so that I can tone it down? It doesn't hold boys accountable in any way, shape, or form. Like, it's just, it's just so bad all around. And there's, I mean, this chapter is so good. It's eye-opening. It's so good. Yeah. I'm looking forward to reading it more now. Yeah. And I have to add reading books onto my, onto my uh, weekly list after <laughs> my kids go back to school. There you go. Another subtitle in here is Compliance Does Not Equal Consent. This was a very important thing that they covered because, again, like going back to how so many girls don't even realize they've been assaulted. Mm -hmm. Like so many girls think that they consented 
they don't fully understand consent. And that's what I think this chapter does a really good job of explaining what consent is Mm -hmm. and how important it is for girls to understand it. Because a guy like pushing you and pushing you and pushing you until you finally give up because they won't shut up and you're scared Mm -hmm. does not equal consent. No. That's compliance. Mm -hmm. So that's that chapter. And then in chapter nine, um, this is titled, She Deserves to Exist as a Person, Not a Threat. Your Daughter is Not a Stumbling Block. I already love it. Mm -hmm. This chapter is the modesty chapter in this book. Do tell. (laughs) She talks about how purity culture really enforced the strict modesty rules that like a lot of us grew up with. Mm -hmm. Um hemlines being a certain length, rules about covering your shoulders and, you know, bathing suits, what's appropriate. There's like, there's so many rules for what is modest, according to purity culture. And then there was like the whole like modest is hottest trend. And so much. And she even covers like, do you remember the whole Matthew West debacle? Debacle? Yes, I do. She covers that in here, and she explains why there was such a backlash mm-hmm. to that whole situation. And it's it's really good. Part of what the modesty message taught is that girls who don't dress modest are worse than girls who do. Mm-hmm. So it, it taught you to look down on other girls who don't dress modestly like you. Um, it also gave you – it fully put the responsibility on you uh, to protect the boys around you. And because they can't help but lust after a girl if she's trying to incite it. Mm -hmm. So there's so much in this chapter, Crystal, of like her like going back and quoting other books or quoting what other people have said about modesty. Mm -hmm. And it's just appalling. Like, I – we say this a lot. Like, I can't believe they got away with printing this. I, I can't believe they got away with saying this. Oh, my goodness. Shanti Feldhan um, was the woman who wrote For Women Only. Yes. And For Young Women Only. You know, yes. Her and her husband, yes. Yes, we've discussed those books. Yeah. Brio was like a teenage magazine back in the day. Okay. She wrote an article in it. Isn't it a focus on the family? It might be. I'm not sure. I never – it was not something I ever saw or got, so – Yeah, I'm, I'm – I don't know. 99% certain it's like a focus on the family magazine geared towards teenagers. Okay. So, and it's still very much active. Um, in a, Shanti Feldhen wrote a 2019, wrote an article in 2019 titled A Letter to Our Teenage Daughters About How They Dress. Prepare yourself. I feel like I should hold on to my chair. Yeah. This is the start of the quote. Instantly, even the most honorable guy is instinctively tempted to want to visually take in, linger on, and fantasize about all the details of this great body he's seeing. So if you dress in a barely there outfit, not only your date, but every other guy in the room, and not to freak you out, but even the dads who are there at the picture party sees you, notices how little you're wearing, and has the same temptation. Also, keep in mind that this is not just your date or your boyfriend. This is any guy. All your guy friends from school, your friend's brother, his father, and the total strangers at the restaurant while you're eating dinner before the dance. One told us, when we see a hot girl, the first 10 seconds of a guy's thoughts are pretty raw. We go straight into fantasy mode, and we have to really work to pull things back. End of quote. And... Then Sheila writes, although Feldhan adds a caveat in her post that she is not blaming girls for boys' poor behavior, her caveat is invalidated when a takeaway from the article is that the girls need to help grown men not have predatory thoughts about their developing prepubescent bodies. The rest of the article, other than that small caveat, tells girls that their sexual objectification by men is a biological reaction that at the sight of an immodestly dressed girl, a part of his brain called the nucleus accumbens is automatically stimulated and that even if a man wants to honor a girl by not thinking of her sexually, he is biologically unable to do so unless you're not calling over attention to your body. (laughs) There's there's no words. There's so much. Like... Like, the biggest thing is, why are the dads involved in this? Why is she excusing predatory behavior? 
Well, yes. Why is she using predatory behavior to threaten girls into dressing modestly? That's horrifying. Mm -hmm. And it makes me wonder, like, be it makes me be concerned about the men in her life. Like, who is she around? Is she safe? Are her daughters safe? Are her granddaughters safe? Mm Because it doesn't sound like they are. Yeah, I know. I mean, and. I know. There's there's no words. Like, there's literally no words. If a guy is having that kind of thoughts about a little girl, a teenage girl. A young girl. girl yeah. yeah, a young girl. If he has a teenage son, that means he could potentially have daughters around the same age. Mm-hmm. So he would be having those thoughts about girls that are the same age as his daughters or mm-hmm. who are young enough to be their daughters. Mm-hmm. And then that's also, what is he teaching his sons? He's definitely mm-hmm. not teaching his sons any good thought patterns. Yep. The fact of the matter is, if that is the reaction within any Marine, mm-hmm. then then the person with the brain is clearly focusing way too much on that and giving way too much attention to that. Because you don't go there in your brain without having a bit of an obsession, and you probably have other habits that are not good anyways. It's, it's the same thing like with any other habit like we've talked about before like within your brain you need to teach your brain Mm -hmm. healthy thought patterns and habits and it's the same thing yeah like this is this happens because those men were not taught Mm -hmm. to create healthy thought patterns they were not taught to let not let these habits go unchecked they've you know, they were never held accountable. They were never, yeah, they were never held accountable or to take responsibility for their thoughts and to make the choice to change their thought pattern. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if it's that bad, there's there's other stuff going on too. Mm-hmm. So moving on from that horrifying thought process. And, and she does a really good job addressing this in like a very like this is not okay way. Mm-hmm. It's It's amazing. And then the next thing she talks about is that the difference between girls' and boys' visual natures has been overblown. And I really, really love that she touched on this because I've always thought about this. Like, I always thought there was something wrong with me that, well, I'm a very visual person. Mm -hmm. And so I always felt like, well, if I find a guy really attractive, like, that's weird because... Because you're not a girl, supposed so to. you're not supposed to be yeah. visual. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's kind of a bad example, but, like, you know what I mean. Yeah, like, I know what you mean. It's just been way overblown, and I love – I just love that she – it's not a super long section, but I just love that she touched on that because mm-hmm. because it's so true. And she talks about um, one study where scientists actually studied and found out that men and women's brains are more similar than they are different. A lot of purity culture and Christian teaching really, like, really goes off of how different men's and women's brains Mm -hmm. are. And it, that, that's part of what they use to give men excuses for the way that they act. And, like, to see an actual scientific study where they said men's and women's brains are actually more alike than they are different is like, okay. Yeah, we're holding you accountable. So so basically, there's a study that blows all of those excuses out of the water. Exactly. That's wonderful. It is wonderful. <laughs> it's absolutely amazing. Uh, she also has a section here titled, She Needs to Know That She Has the Right to Exist in a Female Body. Again, this section's so good. I just want to read the whole thing. Just read some. I'm going to read another quote, and I'll try to just keep it short. It, it, this is so good. Maybe I'm, like, ruining the book. Maybe people, like, I'm, like, giving too many spoilers. No, I don't feel like it. I want you to read some. Okay. She writes, The prevailing theological argument for modesty hinges on the idea that girls can make boys sin. Even as recently as January 2022, when we posted that we should not tolerate grown men lusting after 14-year-olds, commenters turned the table. One comment said, perhaps we should look at both sides of it. That man could certainly be a problem, but many men see ladies dressed immodestly and have bad thoughts without meaning to. As women, we need to protect both our heart and the hearts of good men by covering our body in a way that is pleasing to God. Another comment said, how about we teach girls and women to have self-respect so that they don't feel the need to show their cleavage, tight pants, etc.? Can we at least address both sides of this issue? 
Then she writes, Why is it that girls dressing immodestly is considered equally important as the men in churches sexually objectifying children and women? Because according to this mindset, both are sinning equally. The men are lusting, sure, but by dressing immodestly, women and children can be stumbling blocks to men and boys enticing that lust. After all, they say, Paul himself warns, be careful, however, that the exercise of your rights does not become a stumbling block to the weak. If men can't help but, in the words of Feldhan, visually take in, linger on, and fantasize about all the details of this great body he's seeing, then the logic flows that that 14-year-old girl has sinned against the 42-year-old man who lusted after her. But is that really what the Bible passage is about stumbling blocks? is all about? What if chastising girls for causing lust actually becomes a stumbling block for girls? <laughs> it's just... Yes. It's just so good. Yes. Why do we live in a world where within the church it's okay for children to be held accountable for the actions of growing adults? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One... One of the sentences in here in, in her next like uh, paragraph is, we have actually caused girls' faith to weaken by saying there is something inherently evil about their bodies. Mm-hmm. So like back to the chapter, I mean, back to the subtitle that I'm reading under, girls deserve to exist in their female bodies. Their female bodies are not wrong. We've talked about this before, like if we believe that God created us and God mm-hmm. created us in our female bodies, yeah. why would they be wrong? Yeah. They deserve to exist the same as the men deserve to exist. She also writes she needs to know that she's not the dangerous one. She writes there is not a single piece of clothing that can cause someone to sexually assault you against their will. The fact that sh- that sentence had to be written is a bit appalling. Right. But yet, like, that is a very, like, important sentence because if you grew up in purity culture, then yes, you definitely thought that you, the choices that you made about your clothing would affect if guys, even guys that you are supposed to trust Mm -hmm. would potentially maybe even, like, assault you. But they wouldn't want to, but you would have made them do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she writes um, about, like, the views that she's writing about. She writes, girls' bodies are so dangerous they can kill boys' spiritual lives, apparently. And yet, if a boy is lusting after a girl and feeling unable to control himself, who poses the true threat and who is actually the one in danger? Mm-hmm. It's like, yes, absolutely, nail on the head, like... That's excellent. And then she writes, she should know adults who find children intoxicating are called pedophiles. Yep. Yeah. I mean, enough said. I don't even have to read anything from this section. It's amazing. It's, again, horrifying. It had to be written. But she does an excellent job with it. Moving on in chapter 10, it's titled, She Deserves Permission to Be Big. She talks about in here, they, I, I say she. This is written by three different people. They. Yeah. <laughs> so it's it's like a different one of them on and off. They talk about in here how girls, kind of what we talked about last week, like girls are not encouraged to dream big. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not encouraged to speak at church. They're very much encouraged to obey their husbands, follow their husband's leadership, And if their husband makes up their mind about something, it's not okay to question it. Mm -hmm. There's more to it, too, than just that. I'm just kind of pulling out the things I remember from Mm -hmm. this chapter. Um, But also, like, the rules that women have in church. Like, so many churches have this belief that women are in the service roles of the church. Mm -hmm. I believe it was this book um, that she shared a story about – a church where women were all in like service roles. They like clean the church, but they weren't allowed to like speak at the church or be involved in leadership roles. Mm-hmm. And there was a female missionary who came to speak at the church. And I might be butchering this. I can't find the story right now. I'm skimming too fast or something. But the the male leaders of this church didn't want to let her speak because she was a female. And so in protest, the women said, well, then we're not going to be involved in the church anymore. Like, 
our roles that we have been doing, we're not going to do anymore. And after a very short amount of time of dusty pews and there not being coffee before church and there not being um, clean bathrooms, the men said, hmm, yeah, okay, I guess the female missionary can speak. Now, again, I'm abbreviating that story and probably butchering it, but, like, it's just such a good picture. Yeah. Stuff like that, it's like they didn't even base it on, like, we disagree with her opinion on this. No, it was because she, she was a woman. do that. It's literally because of her gender. Mm-hmm. And there's... Obviously, churches vary. There's a lot of churches who have women in leadership roles yeah. nowadays. There's also a lot of churches who don't. So it just depends. Um, one thing she addresses in here is the teaching that women are more likely to be deceived. I'm sure we've all heard that in some way, shape, or form, that women are more likely. <laughs> I'm sorry, Crystal. I'm just horrifying okay. you over and over again with this. It's all right. Um, I... I- yeah. I think this would be more fun for the people listening if they could see my face sometimes. It would be. It really would be. I wish I wish we could do I'm, that. I'm over here like, oh my gosh. We need like emojis popping up, like Crystal's reactions when I read yeah. these things. <laughs> Horrified emoji. Mouth agape emoji. <laughs> yeah, like face to or hand to face. Face palm emoji. Yeah, face palm. There we go. That's the one. Um I've restrained myself from literally smacking my head several times, just being like <laughs> in like frustration that these things still happen and that girls are still being taught they can't have opinions and that they can't have voices. Mm-hmm. Who do you think gave them a voice? Yeah. The same person that gave a boy a voice. Exactly. Like, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. Um, I do want to read this because it. I literally laughed out loud when I read it. It. I was with my sister when I was reading this. We were like just hanging out and I, <laughs> I started laughing. She's like, what? So I read her this one part and she laughed too. She writes, uh, the propensity for women to be deceived is even an entire premise of the hit book Lies Young Women Believe by Nancy DeMoss, Wolvjemuth, and Dana Gresh. Uh, they claim that Satan continues to target women of every age for deception and that for reasons that we don't fully understand, Satan chose to deceive a woman, not a man. So let's ask once again, is it empirically true that women are more susceptible to deception? Here's the evidence. And she gives several different examples. And <laughs> this is where I literally laughed out loud. A study out of the University of Michigan found that women were 19% less likely to be duped by financial scams than men. (laughs) I can't wait to see where the rest of this goes. And then another researchers from the University of Pennsylvania and from Berkeley found that because people believed women were more easily deceived, people were more likely to lie to women and try to trick them during business practices. That part didn't make me laugh. But the less likely to be duped by financial scams made me laugh. From a religious standpoint, women throughout history have made up the majority of the church and are more likely to practice spiritual disciplines. Women, then, are statistically more likely to follow God. (laughs) Like, what? So, hold on. I just want to, like, get this straight. (laughs) Yeah, process Um, it. so, So women who are more likely to be deceived are also more likely to follow God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> make that one make sense and still end up with uh-huh. the same view of God uh-huh. that you have. Like, do you know uh-huh. what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, if, if, that, if we're going to operate under the premise that women are more likely to be deceived, but women are also more likely to... Yep. Follow God. No, I see where you're going. Like, so then mm-hmm. what does does that mean they're being like deceived, deceived about God? Yeah. Like I know. Right? What? I know. So <clears throat> she kind of wraps up this section by saying, So if it's not a girl's role to have a voice in the church, to exercise discernment, or to have opinions because of their propensity towards deception, what does the church suggest is a girl's role? Why to make the boys feel big, of course. Mic drop. 
There's, yeah, I, I don't really so have anything to add. I didn't, I once, um, I feel like I saw something. Oh man, it drives me nuts that I can remember things, but I don't remember where I saw them or read mm-hmm. them. But there was something along the lines of like, so we think women are more easily deceived. And that whole premise started with Eve and in the garden. Mm-hmm. How do we know that Eve was more easily deceived? Maybe she just walked along before Adam did. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. That's a that's and, a really good point. And, so, and like, if Adam had gotten there first, who's to say Adam wouldn't have taken a bite? Mm-hmm. We don't know that. Yeah. In another section, she writes, she needs to know it's not her job to make boys feel good about themselves. Um, because I wasn't even fully aware of how much this teaching was um, taught. I have another horrifying thing to read to you if you'd like me to. I'm down. <laughs> Horrify me. <laughs> there is a common theme among evangelical teachings to women about how men are that goes like this. Ladies, it's a man's job to take the responsibility of leadership on his shoulders. That's a big task. Wow. I can't imagine that kind of pressure. But that doesn't mean God hasn't got a job for us, too. We have a profoundly important role found in God's design of women. It's our job to support and cheer our men on. Sisters, God has given you such an amazing influence over the men in your life. He has given you so much power to cause such good things to happen. But if we try to usurp God's design for women to submit to men, if we try to take charge and control the men in our lives, that's not God's way. Our men are under a lot of stress because of the, they feel this weight. They love us. They want to protect us. So our job is to let them. And let's make sure they know how much we appreciate them and that we see how hard they're trying. Many evangelical books even encourage teen girls to practice living in respectful deference to to the boys around them now as a practice for when they have to submit to their husbands. I 100% read a book that said that last part for teen girls. Yes. Yep. Girls are told that one of their jobs is to make sure boys' egos stay intact. In Four Young Women Only, Feldhan and Rice quote a teenage boy desperate for girls to understand that the male ego is the most fragile thing on the planet. We must handle boys with care. And she gives a really great example in here, and it's kind of long, so I won't go into it, but basically, like, girls are taught to put themselves second Mm -hmm. to make boys feel better. Isn't it funny how they they teach you that boys can't feel better unless you make yourself second to them? Yeah, unless you're smaller than them. Yeah. It's so problematic. She she talks about how problematic it is because she talks about how she had an example in chapter six. And I can't, I don't know that we talked about it, but she writes, uh, remember Sarah's story from chapter six. Sarah ended up married to a larger than life abusive pastor because she felt that in God's order of things, she must marry a man who was stronger, bigger, and shinier than she was. In her own words, Sarah experienced what she called grooming by the church's advice on marriage, but also by the church's advice on gender roles. Sarah grew up with two conflicting beliefs. She believed she was meant to do big things for God, but she also believed she had to make sure she didn't outshine the men around her. And when she landed at Bible college, this belief that she shouldn't be too big followed her. And though she was asked to lead an outreach project, the men on her team kept pushing back any time she brought up an idea. Even though she was the one that was... See, the problem with, like, in that example, which is a really good example, the problem isn't women being in a leadership position. Mm -hmm. The problem is men being told that simply because, putting it bluntly, simply because they were born with a penis, that means that they are the only ones capable of making decisions. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know how else to put that. (laughs) Yeah. Like, I fully believe that there are things that men can do better than women and that there are things that women can do better than men. Yes. But those roles have been completely like, um, what do you call it? The lines have been colored over. Like The lines, like, the lines were completely rearranged. Yeah. They're but all over the, the place. The way that the church, like, explains those rules mm-hmm. has been 
very badly done. Yeah. And it's caused so much harm to women and men. Like, I, I, the thing that I keep coming back to is that so many of these teachings are so harmful to women, but they are just as harmful to men. Yeah. And men don't see it. Yeah. Or a lot of men don't see it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. There are definitely men who do see it. I think like one of the things that I think about is like, it always says like, oh, men are so much stronger. And it completely, you know, like negates the fact that women also have strength. And Mm -hmm. maybe it's a different kind of strength. Yeah, but it's it's strength in different areas. Yes, but it's equally valuable. Mm -hmm. Yeah, one thing that I think of is often how... When men say that they're stronger than women, like, let's say there's a debate going on, and then mm-hmm. a woman quips back with, well, try carrying a ch- being pregnant and giving birth. Like, you guys mm-hmm. would never be able to handle that. I think the problem, like, I think there is a problem with, like, attacking each other. Attacking, like, if that man was a woman, he'd have the gift of being able to bear children. Like, mm-hmm. it's not about who's stronger and who's physically stronger, who's emotionally strong. Like, it's it's not about that. No. It's that we each have our own strengths. Yes. We, as women, have the incredible honor and gift of being able to bear children. Mm-hmm. Men don't. They have the ability to do – they are naturally physically stronger. They can mm-hmm. lift heavier things. And in general, like – Yeah. And – I'm more than okay with that. Like, it's... I have no issues with that myself. <laughs> no. Like, we each... Each... The men and women have different strengths. And yeah. when we try to equalize and say that, like, it's the same type of strength, that's not the point. No. That doesn't matter. I... Why is it so difficult for us to wrap our heads around that it's okay for us to be strong in different ways? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, too, like, when you take that even further and you think about, like, so we're told as women to not be strong in certain areas because those are areas that only men can be strong in. And then we're also simultaneously telling men they have to be strong in those areas. And even if they're not, like, Mm -hmm. even if that, like, you, if that specific man is not as strong in that area... Then you have, you create this partnership in this marriage and he's trying to be strong in things that he's not strong in. And maybe those are some of the very same things that she would be strong in, Mm -hmm. but she's being told she can't be those things because she's a woman. So he is struggling to be strong in these things. And she's over here and could be pulling that weight, so to speak, in the relationship or putting that into there. No, I, I get what you're saying. Like, she could be providing that part. Mm-hmm. But she's not allowed to because she's a woman. So, like, then there is that... I don't know if dysfunction is really the right word. But, like, it could be their relationship, their marriage, their, like, the... The, the family, systems. the systems that they're creating could run more smoothly. Mm-hmm. But he is being told he has to fill those things. Yeah. And then he ends up feeling like he's not enough and like he is failing his wife mm-hmm. and all of these other things that come along with that, all because he has been told that he has to be those things and that his wife can't be those things. Mm-hmm. And then she might end up resenting him because... She sees him floundering at things yeah. she knows she's good at. There's so many, like, like, there's so many things that could happen with that. And, yeah. and, like, we talked about in the last episode, like, your family systems can look different than everyone else's family yes, systems. exactly. Like, but it, I just, like, yeah. it just, like, makes me sad to think of all of the people who had potential in certain areas but, but weren't allowed to pursue that simply because yeah. they were male or female. Yeah. And how, like, there are families that maybe, maybe there's families where they raise children in dysfunction because of these things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get and what you're saying. And it just makes me, it makes me sad when I think about people 
trying to live up to expectations that have been put on them Mm -hmm. simply because they were male or female, Mm -hmm. when in reality they could have been a very cohesive team Mm -hmm. if they had been allowed to each live in their own strengths. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. And then we're winding down this chapter. Um, She writes how girls need their parents' permission to take up space. Like, it is our parents, it is our job as parents to give our girls that permission and to teach them the truth. Mm -hmm. And uh, another thing she writes is that she should know that not all churches will try to keep her small. And so it's important and completely okay to find a church that you feel encourages you and uplifts you and values mm-hmm. you for who you are yeah, and doesn't just keep you small because you're a woman. And then that's the end of the chapter. Um, they share a few more things, um, kind of wrapping up, talking to moms. And I know they share like kind of a message of grace of like, listen, we don't have to do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. Just like we've talked about how you don't have to do everything perfectly. We can give ourselves grace. If we, do our best and we remain humble and we apologize easily to our daughters and we share when we learn something new and we don't just have too much pride to to say, hey, I was wrong about this. Let's talk about it. You know, then our daughters are going to be okay. And I, the the end of this book is is really good. And no. And I I really like how they ended the book with that and Mm -hmm. um it just ends even though we discuss it discusses so many horrifying things Mm -hmm. it does like what i titled the episode a hopeful book review in the end it gives you hope for the next generation it gives you hope as a future mother as a current mother of daughters yeah that they will have better beliefs than you and not struggle with the things that you did. Yeah. And I think that that was obviously a huge goal of this book. I'm sure they've shared like what their goals were with this book, but I feel like they accomplished so much and they brought to light so many things that like even I didn't know everything about and combated it with like sound scientific evidence and also like just the just the idea, like back to the beginning of the book when they talked about that it's important to measure things by how good the fruit is. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just so good because when we look at so many things, we can see, wow, that had horrible fruit. And we can see it in our own lives and we can do better going forward. And that is why I still titled this episode and the last time we did the book review, A Hopeful book review yeah because it is hopeful yeah even though we read so many discouraging things throughout it (laughs) i definitely cannot wait to finish reading it yeah yeah it's an excellent excellent book we highly 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 recommend it yes to any woman who is a mother of daughters to any woman who has gone through purity culture it was very healing i'm not a mother of a daughter but it To any woman who has been a teenager? Yeah. (laughs) Like, it was very healing to go through it and just read so many things that were so validating. And, yeah. I, yeah, there's not really the perfect words for it. It's, it's a very necessary and excellent book. Yeah. And I'm very thankful they wrote it. We definitely hope that these episodes are not just, probably there's definitely aspects that are triggering and stuff, but... We hope that there's also parts that can help you heal from things and Mm -hmm. process through things. That's always our goal. And feel validated and heard. Yeah, definitely. And seen. Did I tell you that I started investing in stocks? No, you did not. Yeah. Chicken, beef, vegetable. (laughs) Hoping to become a bullionaire. Oh my goodness, that took me like a full few seconds. 
I know you just kind of stared at me a little bit like, what? Chicken, beef, vegetable. (laughs) (sighs) Well, while we're on this lighter note, maybe we should just end our episode here. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds good to me. (laughs) If you don't already, you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Friendship Bread. If you're listening on Apple Podcast, go ahead and leave us a review and... On Spotify, you can just go ahead and tap the five stars. You can also share this episode. If there was anything about this episode that you found helpful, go ahead and share it with your friends. You can also find our community blog at thefriendshipbread.com. We just want to thank you for joining us for this conversation. And we hope that you'll be back in two weeks for the next episode of the Friendship Bread Podcast. Bye! Bye.